This Cup of Earl Grey is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK10. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Truck FM's dedicated TNG podcast. I am sitting in the center seat again this, this week uh, for the second time. I am your host, Daniel Pru, and with me I have my two favorite co-hosts, Philip Gilfis down in 10-4, replacing Lol as Guinan's assistant. So how are things going down there on Deck 10, Philip? Oh, they're going great. I mean, I feel like this is the best way I can get some, you know, brush up on my social skills, earn a little, you know, summer, late summer paycheck as sort of a side job. And and I'm just waiting for someone really cute to walk in. I, I really want to try out this whole biting thing I've been seeing people doing in the corner of a tin Ford over there. So are you saying the first person that walks in with a beard, you might uh, just jump all over that chance there? Well, you know, it's, it's well, it's, who's ever directing this episode, that's who I'm going to go, go, go after. <laughs> Fair enough. And actually, I, th- I think, uh, I know me and Philip will, and probably many of our listeners have a bone to pick with my second host tonight, who is actually the maintenance man of the captain's yacht on the Enterprise D, Darren Moser. How's it going, Darren? Why did we never see the captain's yacht? It, it's one of those things that is never, it was never finished, and it was never clean enough. I was always constantly polishing it, buffing it, you know, tweaking it, just getting it all ready for the captain. And every time he said, hey, can I take the yacht out today? Can I take Calypso out? And I said, well, not. Just give me one more week, Captain. So it's really, it's my fault. I just, I couldn't bear to part. There's a lot of dust in space, guys. You don't realize how dirty these things get when we let them out. It's my fault. I take full responsibility for never letting Calypso out. Seven years. I don't think we can blame you, Darren. I think when Jean-Luc asked that, you know, you'd be able to open the Stargazer model, press a button, and then Livingston would go down this, like, fish bat pole into the captain's yacht. That was kind of an unrealistic thing for him to ask. I, it probably was like an eight-year project, really. You know how many forms I have to do each deck I'm trying to build that pole through? It's a it's a requisitions nightmare to build from deck one all the way to the bottom of the saucer. Let me just tell you, I, thank you for feeling my pain, Philip. Uh, I certainly hope you're not blaming Livingston. As we know, he is a Section 31 agent and people who are critical of him tend to disappear. That's true. Uh, no, no, no disrespect to Livingston. I'm not the one who decided that the emergency Calypso bat pole was going to go behind his fish tank. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, Citation Ops used to have like this whole crew in there, but now it's just Commander Flipper at the end of the day. So we don't know what happened to all the other people there. Yeah, who knows? It, it may be a mystery that will forever be unsolved. Now, I'm wondering when people quote the complement of the ship, are they including the people of Cetacean Ops? They are Starfleet officers. After all, they should be included, I would think. His rank of lieutenant commander, much like Data's, is not honorary. It's earned. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, it's it's good to be here again with you guys. And today we're going to do something a little different. Uh, last week we focused on a singular character. This week is going to be a race. And in fact, my favorite race 
in all of Star Trek. We're going to be talking about the Romulans. Well, I mean, I could honestly talk for hours and hours myself about the Romulans. They are so cool. I've always had such a fascination with them and their culture, and I can't think of a race that has as much impact on the Star Trek universe, but is utilized to such a small degree as much as the Romulans. What, what do you guys think? How do you feel about the Romulans, Darren? When I was introduced to the Romulans, it was through TNG, although they are one of those races that was originally introduced in the original series. And the thing I liked best about them was just their ship. The Romulan Warbird was just such a massive ship. And already we had scaled up pretty heavily in the Star Trek universe with the Enterprise D. 42 decks. I mean, this thing was massive. And you park a Warbird next to it, it looks like a Constitution-class vessel. I mean, the the D could fit as a dry dock in between the two planes of a, of a Warbird. I mean, it just, it just dwarfs it. And and has all those disruptors and warp cores and it's just it exudes a presence of power that extends into the bridge with the Romulan commander who often just goes toe to toe with Picard and that it's just such a fun race just for that aspect alone. Yeah, I knew we were going to be talking about this and I tried to figure out how to say it, but the D. Deidrics class of uh, of Warbirds are my favorite ship design in all of Star Trek. I think they are just the coolest things on the block. What about you, Philip? How do you feel about the Romulans? Well, I, I don't know. Is this an interrogation, Daniel? Are, are you going to put me down and, and interrogate me about my opinion about the Romulans? You won't remember any of this. <laughs> Let's just say if we don't like your answers, you may be monitored from now on. Okay. Well, I, you know, I think when it comes to the Romulans, you know, you look at the TOS and they had, of course, the Klingons were the baddies. And then with TNG, you know, they were sort of this half-hearted or at least somewhat more hearted attempt to go with the Ferengi as the big baddies, but eventually by the end of season one, we we heard, in the neutral zone, we're back. And it was the Romulans were going to be the baddies of TNG. Now, obviously, we had other baddie races, but that was sort of the role of the Romulans. And I know we'll talk about it in, in the rest of this uh, time, but sometimes it was more like, you know, these are the bad guys. You know, the, the evil row, the bull haircut, you know, sort of the galactic evil beetles of the uh, Alpha Quadrant, you know, with their shoulder pads and, and cloaking technology. And, you know, because the Klingons are all peaceful now. And so the sort of the Romans are the ultimate baddies of TNG. And that's how, how I always viewed them. Yeah, it's wonderful. A little bit of history, obviously, into season one of TNG. We, as Star Trek fans, had only seen the Romulans twice before. Maybe three times if you include Star Trek V, but that should never be included in any list. So, you know, we see them in Balance of Terror and then in the Enterprise incident which are both classic, fantastic episodes of TOS. People might be surprised to learn that, that that's it as far as Romulan representation in the original series. Then later on in TNG, we get them in season one in the episode The Neutral Zone, which is kind of a silly episode overall, but it's cool that it introduces us to the Romulans. They are a race that is very pervasive throughout TNG all the way through to the movies, and actually they're, they're, they appear more on TNG than any other show, with Deep Space Nine coming in close behind. So I was going to ask you guys, do you have any favorite episodes or characters that you guys gravitate to? Are you Tomalock fans, or, or maybe the drumhead is something that means a lot to you? Like, when you think Romulans and TNG, what pops into your head, Philip? Well, I think for me, the, the, my most favorite Romulan episode, and probably favorite Romulan in TNG, is Admiral Jeddak. 
in The Defector. I mean, I think it's a great episode. We get to see the Romulan scout ship. We get to see our, our other Rom- Romulan ship for the first time, which and it also features Tomalok as well. But, you know, one thing, like I talked about, in a lot of ways, I suppose a criticism you could have of Romulans on TNG is that they were just the bad guys. You know, that's it. They're the bad guys. They're all evil. You know, they're just there to bully the Federation, and, and that's always going to be the foil for Picard and crew. But I think with the Defector, there's actually an attempt to sort of introduce some Romulan culture. You know, who are these people? Is there more than just the bad guys of TNG? And you had Admiral Jarok, who was a proud Romulan, you know, um, proud member of the of the Star Empire, but who also, you know, was also a foil for Picard. So here you had Picard as this leader, but then you had Jarok as a family man who worried about the future of his children and what the way the Romulan and a government or military was moving, how that would affect his family life. And he made this huge sacrifice and, you know, keeps it a secret because he, he's not a, a traitor. I'm not a traitor, as he would say. And then Picard, of course, said, you are a traitor, sir. He's a great character and, of course, a very tragic ending to that episode, even though we also have that kind of cool part with the Klingons. But I think Jarok shows us that, that there's more to Romulans than just shoulder pads and a menacing brow. And honestly, what other race in Star Trek are cool enough to go through the lengths that the Romulans go through with Jarok just to show that he's a traitor. I mean, all of the crazy conspiracy and, and subterfuge that they go through for one of their own citizens, a high-ranking uh, admiral, no less, just to pull him out is one of the reasons I love them so much. And uh, what about you, Darren? Any any favorite characters or episodes that feature Romulans? My favorite episode featuring the Romulans has to be The Enemy. And it's the introductory episode for my favorite Romulan, who has to be Commander Tumalok. And he, he starts as Commander. Sometimes he's known as Admiral. Sometimes he's known as Hologram. But he is played by the immensely talented Andreas Katsoulas, who also played Citizen Jakar in Babylon 5. And he I would almost wish he was a re- reoccurring, even more so, of a, of a bad guy. Just uh, anytime you put him on screen toe-to-toe with Picard and it's it's just it's just fireworks because these are two men of just towering intellect with a vast ship at their command you can just see the battle waging in their minds between each other almost like a game of three-dimensional chess in the episode the enemy it's a great way to introduce us to the Romulans and but not in a flashback or not in a now we're on their planet and and we're best buds but no we put Jordy face to face with this new hated enemy and they find a common ground and, and a lot of times you really discover a lot about a person when you go through a shared hardship. Uh, so it's a great episode for just revealing the heart of these people. It's it's just a great episode for really cementing these as one of the favorite Star Trek villains. Ditto. Same. We're Romulan buddies. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And I'm kind of surprised that neither of you said The Drumhead, which I just rewatched just the other day. I mean, it's just a fantastic episode. And it's difficult to call it a Romulan episode because there really are no Romulans in it, save for the, you know, the crew member who's, whose paternal grandfather was Romulan. So, you know, he's a quarter Romulan. He's in Starfleet. He, doesn't, he doesn't, obviously doesn't really count. But my favorite episode, hands down, probably one of my favorite episodes of, of all of Star Trek is Unification. And I felt that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Unification a little bit here because it brings in elements, uh, wonderful elements uh, of all 
of Star Trek. Uh, you know, obviously Spock. Is that Unification Part 1 or Part 2 that's your favorite, Daniel? Uh, well, it's tough to say because I hate Sela so much that I would want to say that I don't like Part 2 as much as I like Part 1 because she's in it. There are some really cool moments between Spock and Data and Picard and Spock. And, oh, that, that's rough. So, okay, this is going to be a side tangent real quick. The worst idea ever. Sela, go. Uh, well, I yes, it does kind of rip a hole in sp- the space-time continuum just on how she exists and why she exists within the timeline that we're viewing. But I don't know. It's hard for me to hate her because you put her in that episode with the Klingons and she is the catalyst to Data getting a command on the Sutherland. And man, that is one of my favorite parts of Star Trek. So if she's the catalyst for that, uh, it's hard for me to to not like her. I mean, you get her in the scene with Spock and Data and holographic Riker with bad hair. I mean, what more could you want? That's just... It would have been great in that scene if it was holographic Riker with no beard. And that's how she saw through the facade. Because she knows Riker has a beard. <laughs> so wait, let me let me... Make sure I'm understanding this correctly. Am I the only one with an intense, burning hatred for the character? I think you have something against blondes is what it is. That's not at all. The thing is, and I hate... She's the Romulan who has the most fun. (laughs) And she is the only blonde we ever see, right? It infuriates me. Don't be a racist Wesley, Daniel. <laughs> I, love Romulans. Romulans. <laughs> I love Romulans. I love Romulans. I just don't. <laughs> Is her blood not green enough for you? You know, it's this TV trope of, of an actor playing their own descendant or, you know, it doesn't make sense. Okay, fine. If you want to Right, because Data never plays his grandfather or great-grandfather or own descendant, but, you know, that's a terrible storyline. Or Michael Doran. I have a problem with it in every one of those cases, so at least I'm consistent. I hate that Denise Crosby plays this character. I don't have a problem with the character as a character. I could watch it and be like, okay, fine. Even though I don't think Romulans would ever put a half Romulan, half human hybrid in a position of such power. Obviously, we, we, we see throughout the series that they're very xenophobic and racist. They don't like, I'm sure they would call her a half breed, put her to work with the Remans, which is a whole other subject that we'll probably get into. I just don't like that she's played by Denise Crosby. It makes no sense. Anyways. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Uh, Denise Crosby stepped off the Star Trek train on the first stop and then she's like, whoa, I should have stayed on board. And, and that's sort of interesting that the Romulans, you know, Enterprise C destroyed by the Romulans in yesterday's Enterprise and we get to see Denise Crosby and then, you know, loved her so much they decided to bring her back again for a Romulan tale again. That's the one clause in her you know, contract to come back. It has to be a Romulan episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if they loved her so much or if she just refused to leave. <laughs> so it was like awkward. She was just in the waiting room of the <laughs> lobby of the Paramount studio. You just walk by every day and be like, oh, oh, uh, hi, hi, Denise. Got, got any episodes for me today? Uh, uh, not today, <laughs> Denise. Um, not today. Denise, where did you get that costume? I think you're supposed to return that to wardrobe, but no, I sewed this myself. <laughs> I mean, honestly, no hatred to Denise Crosby. We'll we'll, no, we'll get none. into Yar Talks later on for sure. And I loved Yesterday's Enterprise, and I love how they brought her back for that. I thought that was brilliant. And, and it's fine. So every time you see, see her character on screen, do you think to yourself... It never happened. Well, that's, you know, that's time travel for you. What can you do? I, I just wish they, they got someone else to play the part. Why not? I guess it wouldn't have, like, the same emotional impact as that first moment when she steps out of the shadows. And, like, ooh, Yar's the bad guy? Like, I, I don't know. I, I just, to me, I, it was just a misstep. And a, but maybe that's just me. So we don't have to dwell on that. I just, I thought we should talk about unification because, well, frankly, without unification, we wouldn't have Star Trek 09 or Into Darkness, right? Oh. Yeah, in this, we should... Think 
unification. <laughs> hey, I'm not. I'm not saying you might. Now it got awkward, <laughs> Daniel. Now it got awkward. I'm not saying you have to like or approve of it, but you have to appreciate what it's done for the franchise. I was just gonna say, has, have any of you seen that Spock in front of a view screen picture where it's basically every time there's a Spock in front of a view screen, it looks. It's like. 12 of them so it almost looks like a picture of when you aim a camera at its own image original series animated series you know movie spock you know other movie spock unification spock oh nine spock and it's just it's hilarious it's like spock inception okay and just to ride that train just a little bit here of the oh nine and into darkness a lot of classic star trek fans were very upset when Star Trek 09 came out and destroyed Vulcan. But I think the important thing... Uh, spoilers, it hasn't been that long since 2009, Daniel. There may be people out there who don't... Now we've got to get the spoiler horn. You're making this really difficult for me, Daniel. Next you're going to tell me Dumbledore died. Whoa, whoa, Philip, whoa. All right, I'm still sore about that. Come on now, Philip, that's that's not right. You know there's these things in the Harry Potter universe that are just full of spoilers? They're called the books. I mean, really, all we had to get was the time turner and we could have said... Never mind. That's a whole nother podcast and a whole nother subject. Speaking of time travel, that is actually probably my other favorite Romulan episode is Timescape. You have the Warbird and the Enterprise locked in that sort of temporal whatever. And, you know, Picard and Troy and Data are returning back. And uh, you have that sort of great scene with them with Picard talking about the conference and the man who talked and talked. It was very quite hypnotic. And then also my favorite scene of Picard making the smiley face in the uh, engine coolant. In the warp core breach as it's in progress. Yes. Yeah, that's a great episode, a great mystery episode, which also features Romulan. So we are on topic, Daniel. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I did want to mention before we got uh, off the 09 and into darkness topics, even though I know this is a TNG podcast, but this is relevant to the Romulans because a lot of classic Star Trek fans were very upset in 09, like I mentioned before, Darren had to be a smart aleck that uh, Vulcan was destroyed in that movie. However, they can take solace in the fact that it's an alternate universe and Vulcan very much exists in the Prime Universe. Do you know what no longer exists in the Prime Universe? Thank you, J.J. Abrams. Romulus. Would be Romulus <laughs> is gone. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that. But there is no more Romulus in Star Trek, which means that any future series that takes place post-Voyager will have to deal with a f- massive power shift in the Star Trek universe. Well, that's the entire plot line in Star Trek Online, is that you play as the Romulans and you're just lost in the colonies and there's a whole Tal Shiar is trying to make the Star Empire and Empress Sela is in charge now and all this stuff. So, And what about the poor Remans? Remus got blown up too. Where, where's your tears for Remus, Daniel? Where's your tears for Remus? If Okay, let's talk about Romulans in the next generation movies. I mean, there's a mention of Romulans in Generations. And there's a dead body, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we... Do we see the dead body or not? I know there's a dead body. Yes. They're covered in green blood. And then we could just get Worf going, Romulans. Romulans. The, the enemy was the great story there with Worf and the Romulans. Well, though you didn't mention the subplot with Worf and the blood transfusion. We know he loves Romulans. <laughs> because to me, that was an interesting one because, you know, people always would, would complain TNG, you know, it's all happy-go-lucky. Well, the happy-go-lucky story ending would have been Worf learning a very valuable lesson about himself and giving the blood transfusion. But he said, no, let him die. And he dies. <laughs> That's it. That's the story. Yeah. Uh, Deep Space Niners should be very happy with that episode. That is a very uh, realistic, very dark ending. He refuses. He says, I'll do it if you order me. Picard's like, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Well, he does the whole, Mr. Wolf, 
You'll dismiss. <laughs> yep. I just learned, actually doing research for this episode, that the Romulans were supposed to be the bad guys in Insurrection, which was very interesting. And actually, it was a letter from Sir Patrick Stewart, which convinced the writers to remove the Romulans from Insurrection. He thought that they weren't a sufficient bad guy to follow up the boar. And honestly, in my mind, before this, before learning this... Patrick Stewart could do no wrong. Now I'm a little upset. I'm a little disappointed. How do you guys feel about this? You're basically removing a very established, a very imposing villain and replacing them with one we've never heard of before and really have no investment with. So I would say bad form, my captain. Uh, Romulans, I think, would have made the Briar Patch all the more explosive. <laughs> it was explosive enough with the Riker maneuver. I'm wondering now, would Romulans in Insurrection have saved both of those films? Would it have saved Insurrection and Nemesis? Because who knows what would have come after that. Which obviously brings us to the only time that Romulans are featured in a TNG film, which is Nemesis. Which I know, as a political nerd, Philip must love the beginning of Nemesis, where we get to see the Senate chamber and all of the, the different things going, right, Philip? Like, that's your that's got to be your favorite moment of all of the Star Trek TNG movies, right? What is this, Star Wars Episode Two? I mean, no, no. We don't need to get the Galactic Senate. Well, I mean, it, it was an interesting beginning. I mean, I'm, I will, I am not a fan of Nemesis. I think that's probably set in stone now. But I mean, um, you know, I, I, I do like the opening it, though, because as I said, we always get this sort of black and white Romulans or baddies and, but, but then they try to, you know, like I said, with the defector and then with other episodes as well, they try to kind of give the backstory, the culture, you know, just like it took TNG to give the backstory to the Klingons when TOS, they were just the bad guys. They tried at least giving some backstory with the Romans, though not a lot. And Nemesis tried to, you know, it was still black and white because you had the whole Remans and were just bad people, you know, albeit a, a subjected possibly people. But, you know, it's, it's, well, we won't go into Nemesis, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. I don't blame the Romulans for that film. I can blame them for a lot, but, you know, it, it was many factors. I mean, I, th we can all agree that the idea that the Romulans would create a cloned Picard is something very in character for them, right? I mean, it's just certainly the execution of the film, I think, that falls a little flat. It's almost a little too little too late. I mean, it, the concept would have worked great as a season seven or season eight episode, but to blow it up to a movie status, TNG always has a hard time developing a, a sufficient story for a movie, and it, it gets it gets carried away with itself. Do you guys do you think that would have that the plot of Nemesis may have worked better as a maybe a TNG two parter? Is this our season eight Twitter feed of TNG? So you're, I mean, you're basically asking how do you fix Nemesis, and and I actually don't hate Nemesis. I'm not one of the. I mean, I don't love it. <laughs> I don't think it's great. Uh, but I think it's certainly watchable. One thing we certainly have to mention, as I said, that you know the TNG, you know, didn't introduce the Romulans because that's the TOS. But we did introduce the Tal Shiar, right, P uh, paving the way for, probably for well, obviously for things like the Obsidian Order, and and I would imagine you know the Federation response, Section Thirty One. That's true. I would say that the Tal Shiar are the stone cast into the pond that starts to reveal these other secret organizations, and while it. It was never fleshed out as much as the Obsidian Order was, or, or later Section 31. It it was kind of the first of of a mention of that kind of organization. I mean, and that's always the interesting thing about the Romulans, and I can't remember whether this was Data giving the explanation in Neutral Zone or, or some other episode where he's trying to describe the Romulans to Picard that, you know, they don't make the first move. They wait for their opponent to make the first move and to reveal themselves 
so that the Romulans will then, you know, act according to that. I, I feel like when I played the game Birth of the Federation, there's sort of a, a an introduction for each of the, the races you can play. When you play the Romulans, they kind of give this sort of rich kind of story, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's all about letting your opponent reveal themselves first. And that's what, you know, the whole cloaking technology and all that, you know, remain hidden, stay in the shadows. And it's really not until neutral zone, hey, we're here. But then they always stay in the shadow, you know, just behind the horizon of the neutral zone is that Romulan star empire. You never know what they're going to do. Would it be bad form if at the destruction of Romulus and, and Remus that Picard or another, maybe a Badmiral, you know, just goes up to a big seal of the Romulan Star Empire and just kind of crosses out the two planets held in talons of the mighty warbird and just kind of drops his pen and walks away. Yeah, I, I would think that might be a little insensitive to maybe what the Romulans are going through at that point. But it's interesting. The Klingons, who were the big baddie for the original series, experienced a catastrophic event which changed their whole dynamic with the rest of the quadrant in Star Trek VI. If we get another series, can we expect a Romulan on the bridge? Are the Romulans now in such a position that they need other species? They need to they need to let go of their racist ways, their xenophobic ways, and kind of join the galactic civilization. Do you guys expect to see something like that? Well, if you remember the episode Future Imperfect, Captain Riker had a problem trusting the Romulans of being in this pseudo-future of Ambassador Tomalock or whatever it was. So, I mean, I think just like Star Trek VI, I think there's going to be mistrust on both sides. Now, I mean, again, we're, we're a TNG podcast, but very quickly, you know, the Dominion War and DS9 working with the Romulans. So there's certainly that kind of trust that's been built up, at least, well, trust, you know, quote unquote, between sort of all the species. But yeah, it'll be interesting how that'll work out. And, but, but I think the Klingon-Romulan dynamic which we saw in uh, Birthright, I guess parts one and two, you know, with that colony that had the Romulans and Klingons intermarrying and living together. And Worf's very disgusted, of course, with the whole enterprise. So, you know, he has to deal with that, being attracted to this young lady and finding out that she's half Romulan. And he's like, oh, you know, and so it's it's sort of interesting. I mean, and you talked about Drumhead. He brings up the story, there was a time I didn't give my blood to a Romulan and he died. <laughs> His opening pickup line. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a fourth date conversation. Just as a side note... I knew this was going to come up, and I have to just put one thing in about the Romulans joining the Dominion War. Realistically speaking, after In the Pale Moonlight, Deep Space Nine would have ended. There, I said it. You know what happened? Romulans would have joined the war. Dominion lost. Next episode. Done. I mean, the Romulans are so awesome. They're so hardcore. They're so badass. You're essentially doubling your force. You're getting the Romulans behind your side. Guess what? The the Jem'Hadar would be crying and running back to the wormhole. So I think it was a little unrealistic that that didn't happen. It's a previous episode before In the Pale Moonlight when the Romulans are actually on the side of the Cardassians and they're in that joint task force that is trying to wipe out the Founders' homeworld and they get their butts kicked along with the rest of that task force. Oh yeah, that was the Tel Shiar. That wasn't, that wasn't the full force of the Empire, my friend. No, that's true, but it does show, I mean, that battle was staged to show, hey, the big players of the Alpha Quadrant are in trouble. And I mean, that's why you have the destruction of the USS Odyssey to show a galaxy class starship could be taken out. And it's a direct parallel to, hey, this could have been the Enterprise. Yeah, but then the Defiant can handle it. Come on. Okay, that's we're not the Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm not going to get into those issues. The Defiant has as much of a 
opposite neck as the Enterprise D has. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to be honest, I'm more like Jordy, who twice was kidnapped and used by the Romulans on board the Enterprise D. Now, Daniel, you're really giving a lot of pro-Romulan arguments. Should Darren and I be concerned that, like Counselor Troy, the real Daniel's been taken and you've been replaced with a Romulan agent? All right, moving on. I did want to talk a little bit about how the the Romulans appeared in in TNG. Much like the Klingons, we get a a very different-looking Romulan than we did uh, in the, the original series. However, unlike the Klingons, we were never privy to the information of what happened. How did they get their forehead ridges? Why do they have these kinds of Vs on their forehead? And why are they space linebackers? Is there a reason for their shoulder pads? We don't know. But it's just something that kind of goes through Star Trek. How do you guys feel about how the Romulans look in TNG? Well, one of the things I remember reading, which was a kind of a headcanon fan-submitted piece about the Romulans, which I think makes a lot of sense, was that the pattern of their uniform, whether it's original series or next gen, was maybe more like a tartan from Scotland. So it was more of like a clan affiliation. And I always thought, oh, that that would if they had revealed something like that, I think it would have added such a, a rich facet to the Romulan race. But I think it, in the most part, it's just a simple answer of to make them look more different than Vulcans. Because, you know, the ears isn't cutting it and being enough of a difference. And then it it even goes back, I think, too far the other way when you progress into the 2009 Star Trek movie in which they look more human than anything with just a little bit of ear. It's, It's like the pendulum swings too far back. I would love to know where the good Romulan tattoo artists are. Because obviously, you know, if you are a blue collar mining Romulan worker, there's some great tattoo parlors just... You've got to know the right place in Romulus, but they got some great ones. Although, didn't they all gain those tattoos during that kind of 10, 20-year period? They were kind of incognito. I've watched it several times. I I thought that they came through mostly not tattooed, but then they have many more tattoos by the time they show up in, in preparation to capture Spock. It's one of those continuity things I never quite understood because they don't really go into that period that they're on a supposedly in a Klingon labor camp or, or, or somewhere. They were on Rura Pente. I don't know whether or not they gained those tattoos while they were there or whatever. I had read that it was the idea is that when a Romulan dies, someone close to you, you paint your face apparently as long as you're grieving. But the reason that they tattooed themselves permanently was because of Romulus being destroyed, which is actually kind of a cool, a cool little tidbit there i think it's in the in the prequel comics oh that would have been interesting to know again that's kind of that extra content coming from the comics where it's it's not maybe a single line or or something could have helped that in the movie you know because not of all of us read the comics you know one question i have and i don't think it's explained with the klingons but the romulan star empire so it's an empire but i it's hard to me to envision romulans as conquerors in the same way as i envision klingon empires conquering other worlds and so i always wonder we, we never really told much more about the empire other than you know there's romulus and then later we find out there's remus and there's a neutral zone but who are these people living under romulan rule what's the empire like how big is it and how do they you know it's always intrigue and whatever but how are they conquering into a star empire well that is very interesting where like you said, as opposed to the Klingons who always seem to be wanting to expand and to conquer, it's like 
yeah, we're good. We reached uh, the edge of how far we'd like to expand and just don't cross our border, but we'll peacefully live in this giant mass of space. You know, we're never presented with them as an instigator. I mean, obviously it's a Cold War Rome analogy, but on top of that, it's just they're there almost just to be that unmovable force. You know, and it's interesting. This actually brings me back to the last point that I wanted to make was, are the Romulans underutilized? And the thing is that we don't know a whole lot about the Romulans. You know, a lot of what we find out is random chance encounters like the enemy. Like we find things out when Geordi's talking to the Romulan on the planet that we never knew before. And of all of the, the races in Star Trek, we probably know the least about the Romulans, especially in TNG. They shape the political field in that series. I mean, do you guys think that maybe we should have seen a little bit more or that maybe they're more effective when we don't know so much about them? The reason we don't know about them is because the Romulans want it that way. I mean, as far as how the political landscape is, I think to quote someone from the episode, All Good Things, how long shall we stare at each other from across the neutral zone? And I mean, that's the whole political situation that this neutral zone, you know, which doesn't get wiped out until Nemesis, sort of defines TNG because you know again in TOS we had two neutral zones we had the Klingon neutral zone and we had the Raman neutral zone in TNG the uh, analogy that obviously Soviet Union has fell so now the Klingons have fell but we still have this Romulan enemy we need that enemy and so we still have that neutral zone we still have these proto-Vulcan type aliens who are apart from us but who sneak across and in the shadows every now and then flash their faces whether it's trying to steal Iconian technology or you know assassinate the Klingons and, and get them going or whatever it is and and so it's it's always very interesting when the Romulans are involved. They always cause trouble. You say they're not conquerors, but I get the sense that if the Romulans had a one-up card, they would take advantage of it. If they had that Iconian technology or if, if any of their other things succeeded, plans or, or schemes or what have you, they would take full advantage of it. Often in TNG, it seems that their goal is to upset the established order, to make the Federation and the Kleons go back to war with each other. Like, they would thrive on chaos, I think. Maybe maybe like the Joker, I don't know. And maybe like the Joker, we're better off not knowing a whole lot about these characters. But, I mean, that's the power of the Romulans. They're not instigators. They're not going to fight if they don't have to. They're going to make you fight. They're going to make you fight that other guy. And I hope you two kill each other, and we don't have to do anything because we're not going to get our hands dirty. It's true. That's why they're awesome. All right, so moving into final thoughts, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about the Romulans today, but I thought that I would give you guys the opportunity. Maybe maybe you guys aren't as enthusiastic about the Romulans as I am. I don't know. I mean, I think they're obviously important to the Star Trek mythos, and I hope that we'll see more of them in the next series. But, but what do you think, Darren? No, I definitely think they are an important villain. I think they're an important kind of mid-tier villain where you have your, you know, your lower tier villains that are, they're reoccurring, but they aren't exactly much of a threat then you have obviously your your top tier which would definitely be like the borg where they threaten the very existence of the federation but the romulans are there to just to say hey there are still people out in this galaxy that don't like the federation that don't want to be one big happy you know conglomeration of planets they are fine being in their own you know corner of the galaxy and you know fortunately voyager didn't have to go through that part of the galaxy on their way home but no i think it's a it's a great race i think you know it's funny how we see more 
of Romulans in TNG than we do of Vulcans. They're good cousins that you would think we would see more in a Star Trek series, you know, especially focusing on the Enterprise, but but a great species, a wonderful culture, barring blondes or, or disruptors. That their weaponry definitely had some teeth. Whether it was a disruptor mounted to their warbird, you almost felt that same weapon was just thrust into their hand. Like it was something that was very powerful and just, it didn't have a stun setting. It was always set to kill. They were always going to make their presence known. They were going to take what they wanted, do what they wanted. They were the bullies. They were the new bullies on the block. And what about you, Philip? Last thoughts on the Romulans? Well, I mean, I think the Romulans in TNG were the unrealized potential of the Romulans because I think from what I've read at other places is that in TOS, they really wanted to use the Romulans a whole lot more. But because of the budget and the makeup and all the work that had to go into it, they only used it the few times they did in a president balance of terror. Um, but they did wanted to do more. But you know, and we gotta. They look like the Vulcans and too much makeup. We'll just stick with the Klingons. You know, you just stick a mustache on them, you're good. So, but I think when TNG, we're like, hey, we can do this now. We can make them all the way we wanted to make them now and make them be that big big baddie that we always wanted them to be i mean i I think my only regret like i said is just not learning a little bit more about them i mean we get to see a little bit of the inside of their ship in timescape when they're you know frozen in time and we can wander around we get that whole quantum singularity or whatever it is that powers their ship in their mini fridge (laughs) yes you know in nemesis we get to walk around romulus and remus so we get to see a little bit more of them that way as well but i I still think you know there's not a lot we know And, and none of the other series really explored them anymore I mean, they, they featured Romulans in the other episodes, but we never really got to know them any more than we did in TNG, which which I think is sad. So I'm not as big as a uh, Romulan agent out to destroy the Federation as you are, Daniel, but I definitely think they were, they were served a great foil for TNG, but I definitely feel like we could have learned more and that would have been so cool to learn more why they tick and how they tick. I often find myself thinking when I'm watching any of the modern Star Trek series, like, I think the Romulans are, if they're not directly involved, they are here and observing it in some way. And that, to me, makes it exciting. I always feel like that they're actively trying to manipulate things or that they're at least observing. It's one of the reasons I love them so much. I think that they're such a cool race. They're they're still kind of shrouded in mystery. We don't we don't get overexposed to them like we do the Borg. You know, not in TNG, but, but in Star Trek, we've definitely been Borged out. You know, it, they've lost their appeal. And even Klingons, to a large degree, even though they're, they become our allies, we see so much of their culture that... It, it loses some of its appeal, I think. But the Romulans never get overexposed like that. And it's something that I really, really appreciate. Even though I like, I want to see more of them, I- I'm okay with not seeing more of them because then it kind of adds to their mythos. So I think that would have been really interesting. I mean, with the basis of TNG being so episodic based, you didn't have a lot of time for reoccurring threads. But if TNG had been written in more of a DS9 vein where you have many threads that are slowly weaving i think it would have been great to have the romulans not necessarily pop up but just to sow the seeds of like you said the romulans listening net and they're and they're watching what the enterprise is doing and they're slowly manipulating things for this greater plan and then later in the later series you could finally drop the curtain and say oh and then you go back and say oh look this was them here 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 i think if they had done something like that which is much more along the lines of modern television writing, but I think that would have been a very grand use of of this wonderful villain. And yeah, even though that didn't happen, in my mind, that's exactly what was going on. So I look back and I'm like, oh, you know what? I bet you they were, I bet you they were, 
playing things a little bit to their advantage. So Okay, well, we have been talking about the Romulans tonight. However, there are many things that we have been talking about on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Orb. What? I think Cisco and Ducat, you know, in the best tradition of any kind of good writing, you know, the villain is a mirror, flipped mirror image of the hero. And that, you know, that's for Kirk and Khan and, and a whole bunch of great Star Trek. So, you know, you get Cisco and Ducat and they have a lot in common with each other. Earl Grey. Because he's larger than life for 90% of the show. He is the captain. Okay, like I'm going to ruffle some feathers right now. I'm just letting you guys know this is going to be controversial. But he is the captain that Cisco and Janeway wished they were. The Ready Room. The Voyager Conspiracy. Now, Daniel and I were talking about this in a, in a, in a prior podcast about the, uh, the 80s moment. And so I, I can see Seven coming up. In this episode, I tried to download too much information in your heads. <laughs> Try not to study too much in school. <laughs> Try to diverse yourselves. Play with your friends. Go see your family. Information, too, can be a drug. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just say no, kids. <laughs> to the journey! Voyager's funniest moments. They're seeing Sandrine's for the first time, and you see that pool shark guy who is such a chauvinist pig jerk who says something to the effect to Bolana of something like, treat a lady like a tramp and a tramp like a lady it works every time and she says paris did you program this guy and he's like yeah why she said he's a pig and so are you commentary trek stars Carnival. but they are also dealing with essentially general supernatural metaphysical concepts that are not limited to christianity so implying that there's a heaven and a hell in this i think is limiting because the show very clearly states that they are not playing by any simple rule book. Warp 5. Archer and the Prime Directive. In and of itself, that doesn't make it the correct one. I mean, you could argue whether there is even such a thing as an absolute moral position. That is, is a moral position in itself to say that we have moral absolutism versus moral relativism, and the Federation adopts a moral relativist position. Trek News and Views. Andorians. I don't think Shatner would have turned around and said, make sure one of them's an Andorian. <laughs> <laughs> Though his special effects would have been, they all have to look like me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Literary Treks. Ongoing 25, the Kittimer conflict begins. And then you get to this starbase where Kirk and his crew are about to embark on their five-year mission. They're they're eventually going to go on this mission. Right? Yeah, eventually it, it'll happen. <laughs> One of these days they're um, going to go. <laughs> it does kind of make me wonder if they if they're stalling because they they're don't, stalling. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they're stalling because of the film. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. All right, and one thing we did want to mention is the wonderful feedback that we've gotten. Like this five-star review from 49er Faithful, who says, Much like the other Trek FM series-based shows, The Orb to the Journey Warp 5, this show focuses entirely on TNG. Also, like those shows, I like that this isn't a review podcast, but just talks about the overall themes and ideas of the show, which was my favorite series in Star Trek. Looking forward to seeing the show grow and the many other topics that will be discussed. And the other five-star review we got from Fleet Feet 47 who said, 
Trek FM has already established itself as a premier source of insightful and enjoyable podcasts that is keeping the Star Trek spirit alive 47 years later. This newest show on the network is a fantastic and bit overdue addition that will tackle the Trek series that firmly cemented Star Trek's place into everlasting pop culture. Thanks to the host and producer, Christopher Jones, for the time and effort they put forth each week on generating fun and fascinating shows for new and old fans alike. And I know I speak for everyone here on Earl Grey when when I say thank you so much, guys, for your five-star reviews. We love the feedback. We love to see it. And, uh, And everybody else, go ahead and get on iTunes and review us as well. So, guys, uh, if anybody wanted to, t- you know, talk back to us about the Romulans, uh, maybe they hate the Romulans and they wanted to argue with it with us about it, or or they love the Romulans just like me and they want to say, hey, you're right, the Romulans are awesome. H- how would they get a hold of us? Well, how would they get a hold of you, Philip? Usually, I keep my Twitter cloaked until I'm ready to reveal my thoughts. But once they uh, find me and detect me, they can find me at NC Public Servant, um, where I tweet about trek and doctor who and government and politics and all that wonderful stuff and also they can read my tng featured articles on the trek fm network and what about you darren Uh, they can talk with me on twitter under dr sci-fi that's d-r-s-c-i-f-i or visit my website dr sci-fi.com where i have my other sci-fi podcast the dr sci-fi show but I just love talking about sci-fi, talking to people who really enjoy not just Star Trek, but just have a passion for science fiction and just loving that genre. And you can find me personally on Twitter as well with one up Dan. That is the number one, not the word. However, if you want to get a ho- in touch with all three of us together, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there and you can choose Earl Grey as a podcast. We'll get that feedback as a group. And uh, we would love to hear from you. It would be wonderful. Before we go, I'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor for today's show. Squarespace is the web's best hosting in CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, or anything else you can imagine. Create your own space today. Just go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial, no credit card required, and then use offer code TREK10 to save 10%. You're going to love it, and we really thank Squarespace for their support of Earl Grey and the network. Also, if you'd like to personally support Earl Grey, the network, or any of our programming, visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution, and you can mix and match badges and art prints. There are different levels of donation to choose from, and your contributions help us cover the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that we need to bring Earl Grey and all of our other shows to you every week. All right, Darren and Philip, there is actually a Romulan warbird looking off the port bow, so we should probably go take care of that. So we want to thank everyone for listening, and check us out next week on Earl Grey. Engage. Live long and prosper. Make it so. Fire. Fire.